A one-all draw in the Thames Valley Derby of Doom for the second time this season saw the Royals edge closer to a great escape. Off-the-field issues have not yet derailed the slow but steady progress Sellers' men are making, and within a huge week coming up, we ask, can we actually get out of this? Here to join me, as always, is the man from MAME, Mr. Ross Weber. Nice. Um, Ross, what is the most heavily policed sports fixture in America? Oh, that's a really good question, because if people don't know, um, home and away fans sit together in America. Like it's not you don't have to be separated. You're allowed to have beer in the stands. So in general, the behavior is a is a little bit friendlier. I would say that the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys hate each other, like really hate each other going back to like the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that. So um, there's a great YouTube video called Randall Cunningham versus the means of production. Uh, which is about a big strike that happened in the NFL in the 70s and 80s. I'm going to shut up about American football in a sec. Don't worry. <laughs> but the, the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys games, probably those guys are from very different cultures and they, they absolutely hate each other. Okay. Well, listen, there was, there was more police there yesterday than there was home fans. It yeah. was, <laughs> it was a very, very big day out for uh, the Thames Valley police department. So um, yeah. Yeah, did it work? <sighs> Dunno. There was there was a bit of uh there was a bit of spice, should we say, put it that way. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I was just I was just intrigued really to to know which one was, was you know, the meatiest not Derby, you don't have derbies in America, do you? But you know you, what I mean? Like No, uh, sometimes in hockey, um Boston Bruins versus the Montreal Canadiens, they hate each other. So hockey's got some, but yeah, no, it's not really Oh, someone's going to drag me across the coals. It's just not really the same in terms of rival culture. Yeah, and then you go into onto the continent and then it's like even, uh, even crazier than it is in England, right? With like the Milan Derby and yeah. the Rome Derby and, and all those kinds of things. So good question. I try. I try. Yeah. Um, massive thanks to uh, ZCZ Films who are sponsoring this, our 369th episode of the uh, TTE podcast, but any other podcast that we've done recently, really, they they sponsor it all. So thank you very much to to those guys once again for their uh, commitment, support, uh, and overall love. And thank you, as always, to you guys for for joining us on this um, on this review of of the Oxford game. So we're going to get into that right now after this short break, um, and we're going to talk about what went wrong and then what instantly went right. Um, right after this break. Come rain or shine, it's time to relive the latest match action with the recap. This podcast is sponsored by ZCZ Films, Reading's oldest ultras. Right, let's let's get this out of the way first of all. O- Oxford generally um, is is an all right place. Like it's actually yeah. it's actually pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. The the stadium and the kind of the surrounding parts of, of the actual Oxford City itself. Are absolute trash, and honestly, yeah. I've been, I went, I've been to the Kassam Stadium a few times. It's the first time I've read in ever, I believe, but it's the okay. first time I've been reading anyway. Um, and London Welsh used to play their rugby, and they they lasted about, I don't know, a season. There was about three hundred people there, so I used to go and watch them a few times. But it's okay. just the most bizarre place ever. It's just. It's just weird. Like it's just absolutely soulless. It, it's it's very hard to explain. And even on a like a almost spring like day yesterday, yeah. it just it just felt really odd to, to be there for a football game. Um mm-hmm. but we were there. We were there for a football game. Uh we were in, you know, uh as a team sort of semi good spirits, given the, the the survival of the transfer window that we've just had, which we will talk a little bit about later on. Um I don't know, Ross. I mean, first half was a mess, really. I, I think I said in the video I did afterwards, we were far too passive. We mm. weren't aggressive enough. We didn't control the game. Uh, there was very few um, positives going forward. You know, defensively, I guess we were resolute, but but Oxford, you know, deservedly were, were in the lead at half time. Um, and I think had we been playing, you know, a slightly more clinical team than, than Oxford, we could have been two or three down. Um what you know, what were your overall thoughts on, on the first forty five minutes? 
I guess I, I had a bit of a, I wouldn't say an opposite take, but it wasn't really my, my take on this. I was talking to some American fans yesterday that I watch mostly Premier League with, and I was trying to explain what watching League One games is like. And I was saying it's like watching a youth game for 20 minutes and then suddenly like a, a proper professional game will break out and nice football will be played. And for me, there was a lot of yesterday, especially in the second half that was just sort of, Ugh, a whole lot of meh on, on both sides. Not a whole lot done. Less than a goal and a half of expected goals between both teams yesterday. So it wasn't exactly, you know, the most exciting, most exciting game ever. For me, what happened yesterday that blunted Reading, especially in the in the first half, uh, was that Femi Aziz got doubled up on um repeatedly and and they really stopped him from playing through the first half and 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 through the first half an hour really and we've talked about and and there's a video that went up the other day about how Aziz just does a whole lot of stuff that is not replaceable in this Reading team right now certainly in terms of volume he gets the most crosses off the most dribbles off um the most key passes off which is impressive considering you know that's usually wing or, or savages remit or something like that so I think really what happened was Reading's usual point of attack was entirely blunted. Oxford are a decent team, you know, they're they're sitting in the playoff spots. And it took Reading a while to work out what on earth they were gonna do um if they couldn't put it to Aziz. So for large stretches of the first fifteen minutes, that meant that they weren't really getting much of a foothold in the game at all. But um I thought that Makairu started to come into it more as the half went on um, and we had a few chances down the uh, left side, which, which was good to see because we have been very right side heavy recently. Um, the, the one that I liked the most was the sort of uh, Makaira coming in from the left uh, and playing it to, to wing who then played a one, two with nibs just outside of the box to, to get a shot off. Um, so I think basically what, what happened was Oxford shut down our, our main point of attack and, and it took us a while um, really, to find to work out what we're going to do um without that um but it's something it's a question that reading are going to need to answer in the in the weeks to come because i mean what if femi aziz gets injured you know um we, we we're going to have to have a game plan for for scoring outside of him um but defensively i, I think that just trying to block up the middle channel it is kind of working for, for reading at the moment we're not giving away many shots buttons not having to do a whole lot for large periods of, of games um so just a bit another bit of a slog match in in league one as per usual unfortunately i think that the main issue i had in the first half was that we, we didn't get control of the ball at all and there was very few not that we've been you know particularly prolific in this area but there was very few overlaps so you know since abby's gone or, or rather been out the team there, there aren't there isn't anyone really to carry the ball progressively from um from defence and actually you know we had Bindon who was trying to make those runs and there was very few options if any shown for him you know Wing and, and Craig were sort of getting in each other's way a little bit really Dorset didn't have the either the pace or the potential to kind of go forward and and, and for me there was a lot of breakdown in, in midfield you know Sam Smith I thought was was doing what he could in terms of chasing shadows, but there was there was nothing going forward in in the first half, and I I, I just was very very concerned at half time when you know we kind of we swapped Makairu and, and Aziz, I, I guess you know because obviously talk about the double up in terms of that. Well, see, and there it, you go, right? Doesn't that speak to the Reading actually? Reading never do that, and it is surprising. Like no. I remember there was a point in time when it used to be really common to switch your wingers. Um, but it's not really done um, too much these days. But the fact that Reading had to do that shows how well Oxford did with Aziz in the first half, in my yeah, opinion. And, you know, they had Brannigan in the middle who's, who's kind of controlling the play and, and being fairly aggressive from, from that central midfield point of view. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I was a little bit surprised at the team selection in terms of dropping Savage and bringing Craig in because I just felt, and I said this on the pod last week, that you know we were almost being too defensive in in a lot of respects. You know, mm. at least with Savage, you know that he's going to try and link the play a little bit more than than Craig does. 
another player that obviously came in. Can I wait? Can I jump in on the Craig and Savage thing quickly? Less no. than twenty second point. Sorry, just you've a got, really you've got, 18, you've got eighteen seconds. Really weird day from Savage and Craig yesterday. You can ask me to defend it later if you want, but I thought Craig was actually really good yesterday. Uh, and Craig ended up having higher um, passing accuracy uh, and creative passes numbers than Savage, whereas Savage ended up having like perfect scores on his defensive stuff so just an odd bizarro land day for savage and craig yesterday i mean it is weird it is bizarre but anyway in terms of 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 those subs which we'll talk about in a minute you know it they were too little too late but it 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 kind of worked if that makes sense anyway we'll come on to that you've you've put me off now i was in what was i going to sorry sorry you're moving on to another player brought into the team right and bengay he came on he came in through partial necessity I guess and I say that through gritted teeth um he he didn't have a good game why oh interesting okay how did I think well did Mbenge have a what what didn't you like about Mbenge because I can remember a couple of moments but I'm interested to hear what what you didn't like um positionally he was like a fish up a tree uh he (laughs) was sloppy in the tackle um, he kind of, he, he was just all over the place. He yeah. was just, he was literally all over the place. And I, and I think really, you know, and you, you talked about this before, um, you know, in terms of options, we could have put uh, Dorset in there. Um, I think, you know, I, I went with Sim yesterday and we were talking before the game about potentially, is it Mon Louis? I'm doing a Tim Della here. Is that a set, Mon Louis? I, you know what, we're going to have to just pick one there, aren't we? It's going to be Mon Louis or Mon Luis and, and whichever one you pick, that's it for the rest of the season. We're just going to have to be strong with it. I, I do know, I do think that Mbenge missed some tackles in, in uh, where he was trying to step up and out of the line to make tackles. And that's actually kind of usually Binden's role um, when Reading, uh, you know, when Reading set their center backs up, did not think Mbenge did nearly as well as that at that as Binder does you know he missed a few uh tackles when he was when he was going in to do that and I mean he's been mad in like all of his substitute appearances recently so like it's just I thought Tyler Binden was pretty good yesterday but he was made to look very good you know mm. by Mbenge next to him basically is probably the best way I can describe Mbenge's performance yeah I mean I thought Binder was was very very good yesterday I thought it was one of his is Mm-hmm. you know better performances of the season given everything that was going on um I thought Dorset was okay I, I just I, I want to see my fullbacks get forward I want to see him you know get up the pitch and, and kind of motor a little bit and he just there were times in the first half with with Dorset where he just he wasn't he didn't seem confident or he didn't have the license to kind of push forward and make those overlapping runs that you know we've we've probably seen sort of historically from our fullbacks really so yeah, it was it was a tricky first half. Um, obviously, second half, you know, as we said earlier, they kind of swapped sides, as, Aziz and Makairu. And then, of course, the subs came on in, what, 74th, 73rd minute, something like that, yeah, and, and changed the game. Mm-hmm. Um, what what did you make, first of all, of, of Kelvin coming on on the left-hand side there? So, uh, Tom and I had a brief chat about this, Um after I think it might have been around the Derby game. I'm not entirely sure, but I don't mind him there. I, I kind of like it because one of the things that we've been, something that's been slowing Makairu down and, and really meaning that our right side is where most of the attacking is coming from is that even though Makairu can dribble with the ball, he's not nearly as, is a you know a, a, he's not nearly as much of a progressive carrier he's a dribbler you know like femi don't, is a don't start with i'm that, sorry man. i've been using it a lot now but uh femi is a good progressive carrier who gets the ball to dangerous positions and then you know is a volume crosser at least once he gets there a volume passer um makaira just hasn't been there i actually thought he had some good no- moments um yesterday but um yeah kelvin does seem to end most of his actions you know with a shot or a pass or, or something like he, he'll I've seen, i remember he's had a lot of passes blo- of, of shots sorry blocked in his recent substitute appearances so, you know he, he tries to get something off he tries to be productive not just you know hustle and bustle um 
I, I, I quite like him out there on the left, actually. I do think that if they played a 4-2-3-1, then he's even further inside on the left and and maybe, um, you know, a little bit closer to the goal. So that would help him to sort of break. It's It's been a little while, um, you know, since he's got a goal. Obviously, yesterday's kind of got a goal, but it's an own goal. Um, but yeah, no, I kind of like him on the left. I think it suits his, um, his profile quite well as a player. Um, I understand that he wants to play striker, of course, but still again another young kid and i think that if he can learn how to play well and cut inside from there it's just going to make him more dangerous as a striker when he's trying to run you know diagonal runs through the box and, and things like that as he, as he progresses so yeah i it's a weird one it, it struck me as odd when it first started happening i'm kind of liking kelvin uh, as a as a left-sided player I, I don't think he's going to be trusted again up front on his own, you know, in this in this formation that we're playing mm. with with the one up front. <clears throat> I don't think Sellers is going to have him up there again. You know, obviously, Sam Smith is is kind of first um, or, or in that group of, of players that's going to be first on a team sheet if he's fit. So, you know, Kelvin is not, not going to get another stab at that really in, in the foreseeable future. So if we can, you know, for want of a better phrase, crowbar him into the team on the left-hand side or... You know, maybe even the right hand side. I don't know. Well, really and I had to. I will point out quickly though something you might not have liked is I did spot that at times when Kelvin was on towards the end, it looked a little bit like a four triple two, uh, where Smith and and Kelvin were the you know were the furthest forward, and then you know especially once uh, Elliot came on for for Aziz towards the end, and it, and it wasn't so much a formation that needed width that it needed. Uh, you know, players around the ball, they did kind of drift back into that old uh, routine. I'd really like them to get mm. towards four two three one rather than towards four triple two. Um, let's let's talk about the other kind of main side. I and mean, obviously, Mola came on, but that was kind of like for like, and he didn't. You know, he didn't really have a huge amount to do from from memory. Um, no. Obviously, Savage came on as well, and as as you said, you know, did did well defensively, which is uh, which is you know not Very not funny. what we've known him for. Ha- however, I I do feel that he was incredibly hard done by over the last or the performances from the last two games to be dropped for this game. I I really felt that you know he he would have made a difference from the start in this game. Um yeah. granted yeah. you know I think he made like three tackles in a row or something, you know, kind of a bit of a lung busting move, but he he just links for me. He just, I know we talk about this to death really, but he he links the midfield and the defense a lot better and he, he he kind of he looks for those passes that maybe other players don't and and at times Oxford were very very flat in the way that they set up yesterday and I just felt we needed a bit of a line break in terms of um you know, in terms of that killer pass, and I think, I think, I think Charlie would have done that. But you know, on on the balance of the game and the way it went, I, I think probably a draw was all right because we weren't, yeah, we didn't really threaten for like seventy plus minutes or whatever. No. And then once we had the goal, the momentum shift was just crazy because it's like, you know, give us another five minutes, we'll probably get a winner here because they were, you know, as a team, they were absolutely rattled. They were out on their feet, Oxford. So it was, it was very, very. Um, very telling that those subs, you know, whereas the previous week against Leighton Orion, I felt disrupted the game, they massively improved what we were trying to do. So, you know, the the important thing was we didn't lose. We haven't lost momentum there. I think we've lost once in like 10 games or something now. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. And it's, it's ultimately clawing us up, um, you know, dragging us up the table sort of point exactly. by point. Exactly, slowly, slowly, agonisingly. But now it's, what, two points behind our friends at Port Vale? So, yeah. Yeah. Who are in free fall along with Charlton? Or they Charlton have just, you know, brought in Nathan James, which we'll, we'll talk about in the preview. Um, just to kind of wrap up uh, or wrap up Oxford, even um, Sellers said after the game, uh, we were low in terms of intensity, aggression, and forward playing, and the players on the bench would make a difference. They changed the dynamic of the game. We came here to get the three points, but the performance was there at moments in the game. I think a point is fair. Um, do you think that, final question for you in this game, that he set us up originally to get the three points? Or do yeah. you think his mindset was like, I just don't want to lose this game? That's a great question. Um, I, I I, don't, I, I, I can't you know, speak to what was going on in his mind, but I think that 
I think that he got it wrong this game personally. Um, I, I will have a video coming out on this. Always be promoting. Um, and um, but I, I really think that the the four one four one. I wouldn't say it's completely run its course, and pretty much everything that Redding are going to play is going to come out of some sort of four three three. But I don't think that the lineup. Not necessarily the lineup, but the the game plan yesterday was, was good enough to go and get the three points. And I do think that we need to work out how we're gonna how we're gonna attack when it can't go through Femi. Because if a team, you know, you know, if other teams watch this and they see that they were able to disrupt us for a half of football just through shutting down one player, then um, you know we're gonna struggle to to score goals. So. I, again, I'd like to see us move towards um, some sort of double pivot. I don't think that width is the strength of this team. So a formation that doesn't rely on it so much, I think would be beneficial. I understand, again, that formations are just sort of numbers on a on a chalkboard at the end of the day. But I, yeah, no, I think there are some tweaks that should have been made. It did feel a little bit like we were just going out to get a point again. Yeah, I mean, with that in mind, it, you know, important that we didn't lose really because we looked like we were going to for a last chunk of the game. So, um, yeah, you know, overall positive point. We move on to Stevenage on Tuesday, um, and then we also move on now to the mailbag, which is uh, it's pretty heavy this week actually. And we're going to start with we're going to start with the sellers question. So we're going to take a short break, and then we will be back. Keep up to date with all things Reading FC. Follow the Tilehurst End on Facebook and Twitter. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ZCZ Films. Remember, if you want to get involved in sponsoring the show, drop us an email to the Tilehurst End at gmail.com. Alrighty, welcome back to episode 369 of the Tilehurst End podcast. Um, heavy mailbag, hefty mailbag, large mailbag, as, as I said before the break. Um, we're going to start with Wimby, Lord Wim. He's got right, his own nice. podcast, obviously. The, I think he, well, I don't think, I don't know what I'm talking about. I know that he he put up a, a podcast extra last week, so that is available in the back catalogue. Um, kind of, it was it was sort of a pre-deadline day um, preview. Is that the right word? I don't know. Anyway, right. have a listen to it. It's pretty good. Um, he was on there, but he's, he's chucked us a question, which we always appreciate from you, Daniel. Um, just overall thoughts on Sellers right now. Think he's the right man going forward long term? Question mark. What do you think? Hmm. I mean, it's a good question. I think he is the kind of team builder that we need right now. Um, with a bunch of like young players and and things like that. And I think that we've seen some improvement, you know, from individuals throughout the season. So, um. I think that Harvey Nibs's game has improved as the as the season's gone on. For for instance, and I think that obviously Nelson Avery is a great player. Some of his development there was was helped and and handled by Sellers in terms of getting him into the first team. So, I think that he's a pretty good squad builder. I think that if we're able to crest this season, you know, and get a new owner and be able to start operating in a proper way again, then the question will start to be asked. You know, is this a manager that we can get promoted with? I do still struggle with with some of his game plans, but it's impossible to deny that he's made the team hard to beat at a really crucial point in the season. Um, I would like us to be a bit more free-flowing with how we score goals, but that was a complaint that Southampton fans sometimes had about him as well. So I don't think he's that kind of manager. I don't think we're ever going to be a team that tends to score more than two goals in a game really under him. So it's going to come down to what the ownership, you know, the new ownership, if we get new owners, what their vision is for how the team plays. Um, it, because if it's, you know, with free-flowing attacking football, I don't think Sellers is going to give that to us. But in terms of having now taken some time to, to make the team hard to beat, um, and I, th- I think we're, you know, there's no point moving him on before the end of the season for, for my money. It's unless, you know, we really fall off a cliff in the next month, it's, it's his shit now until the end of the year. I mean, I, I guess it, it it really means, or, or really what your interpretation of long-term is. Um, mm. I, I think, you know, it it was quite telling in the week when he was going on about the departures and, and he kind of said, oh, yeah, well, I knew about that. And it's like, I don't know, like at the moment he could say, let's go and kill all the puppies in Berkshire and people go, yeah, that's a good idea. Like he's kind of, he's got a lot of money in the bank now because of the way that he has kind of galvanised the fan base to a point 
um, almost out of out of default, really, in terms of the way that he's behaved, the way that he has kind of supported the fans in their aims, um, but also kind of just he is the front, you know, he's the front man for all this at the moment. No, no one else is coming out and backing him up. I know right. Bowen turned up to a, a, a press conference or a presser the other day before one of the games, but really, no, no one's been coming out and going, "Don't worry about that, mate. We'll sort that out. We'll, we'll field that question," which. Yeah, you know, it doesn't reflect well on people at the club at all, in in my opinion. Um, long term, I mean, look, I've I've had to eat some humble pie, as you know, Ross, over the last couple of weeks. I, I'm still not convinced he knows really what he's doing. I think the players tend to dig him out a little bit in terms of of getting him out of some of the weird decisions that he's made and kind of almost accidentally making it work. Um, I'd agree with you yesterday. I think he got it massively wrong with with the way that we were set up for that game and. You know, certainly the the two changes that he made or chose to make. Um, but look, he keeps us up. Personally, I'll be forever grateful to him because yeah. he he won't anyone else coming in now. You know, from a takeover point of view, it won't be before the end of the season, as you said, unless we absolutely you know collapse over the next couple of weeks. He's he's not going to be sacked because you know they can't, they can't pay I, him. To be yeah, honest, that's true. So I he, think. If he if he keeps us up, great, fantastic. Yeah. But you know, to do anything other than that, I, I think is a tall order for him. And I don't, I'm not convinced, as I said, that he knows really how to manage those players and to fully play for their play to their strengths. That's I, that's my take on it. I don't necessarily think my concern with him moving forward beyond you know keeping us up and and st- stabilizing us again is that i don't necessarily think that he always picks the right game plan i think he's a guy who likes his game plans um because you know he comes from that sort of sports scientist and analyst world so i think he liked coming up with specific game plans but i think that sometimes he gets in his own way with that like yesterday i think that i don't even know if he was trying to be too defensive or, or what um you know my main overriding thought with sellers is this i think he's going to be remembered good or bad and and whatever your thoughts on him as a Reading fan are I think he's going to be someone that we remember when I think back to that sort of post most recent Premier League era with Adkins and Clement and Stam and um, Steve Clark and all those kinds of guys a lot of them just drift into a mishmash in my head like I can I often forget which seasons happened under like Clement and Steve Clark in particular um and, and Atkins so um I'm never going to forget this season <laughs> I know that much um and I'm never going to forget a lot of what Sellers has said in key moments in key press conferences and, and things like that um mm. so yeah, he's definitely going to lead, regardless of whether it's good or bad. And and these next few months are huge for him, obviously, in his career, as well as Reading's next few years. I think we're going to remember Ruben Sellers for a long time. The, the one thing I do, right, obviously, you know, desperate to stay up. We, we all, well, I mean, it's massive for us then in this, in this league now um, in terms of the takeover. But what would be an ideal scenario is that he keeps us up. And he yeah. goes, thanks very much, lads. I'm off. See you later. <laughs> like, you know, he gets the choice out of this season to go, actually, Joe, I either want to stay or I don't before would you, someone comes in and sacks him. Because would of, you not you know, want to see... He, if he does... Sorry, Ben. I was going to say, would you not want to see just like one or two transfer windows of what it looks like when he can actually operate in in a window and buy players that he wants? No. Could, that's kind of no, <laughs> to be honest, like I, I just because I just don't I, the the manager that or you know managers that we really need are, are ones that we know we're going to get you know two years at this club and he is the type of manager and we are the type of fan I say we but you know recently that if he if he has one transfer window and it doesn't go right within two three even four weeks people are going to go right get out and the whole place is going to turn toxic again and he. For me, you know, and this is this is with anyone on the footballing side of it, and and sorry if this is kind of a bit cold blooded, but like they're all connected with the old regime now, and actually, what you need is for me is always a clean break in these situations. You mm. always need someone to come in and go. Do you know what? We're just going to start again now. Thanks very much for everything, but it, you know, we've, we've I don't know. Them. I I think 
I, I kind of feel like Bowen and Sellers might be spared from that. I mean, the Sellers will be more, actually, I guess they'll both be under threat when, you know, a new owner comes in and if they want to put their own sporting, you know, pieces in place, you know, in terms of the coach and the sporting director, they'll do that. Um, but I think that, I don't know, Bowen's had a weird year, but I do still think that what they tried to do in the summer with the transfer strategy was the right thing to do. I understand that obviously it took a few months to get those some of those players playing well um, and to really get some consistency out of the team. But I also think that, like we've said before on pods, if we get out of this year, we now have a squad full of young, you know, hungry assets that want to do much better um, that should be able to either progress and do really well with Reading you know, or progress and and get sold and help us to start actually, you know, making some money again. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just, I think Sellers and Bowen might be safe under new ownership. Um, and if, if they are, I am curious. I am curious what a transfer window with a actually able to buy players Sellers looks like. I mean, uh, you know, either way, ultimately it rests on us staying in this league. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the alternative is is well, it's not worth thinking about really. So, yeah, I mean, we could we could do a whole pod on on sellers really, but look, official tagline for me is that I'm grateful to what he's done so far. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not completely convinced, but actually, I don't have the luxury to be completely convinced because I just you know we just need points and that's it. And yeah. and and you know we we get to April and we're technically safe. Then fantastic. I say April because the season finishes in April, but do you know what I mean? Not like right up to the last game sort of. Yes. It would be nice to get out of there soon. And and actually, Ben, we'll talk about this during the um, Charlton preview. So I'll shut up about it now, but we've got another, we've got an equivalent of the, uh, the Exeter New Year's day game now with, uh, with Charlton coming up. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Sam Richards asks, how does Sellers solve the issue of Smith becoming so isolated for large periods of games? Um, I would love to hear Sam Smith's view on that. I, I really would, you know, like say to him, how do you like playing, mate? You know, like what what helps you to succeed and score goals? For me, as a, as a you know, fairly hefty observer... I would say it's, it's linked to the midfield and the balls that they're prepared to play from. I mean, he did he did an awful lot of work yesterday. I thought you were really harsh, by the way, in your ratings. I was like, five? Five? Wow. Yeah. It wasn't his fault. He was completely and utterly blocked out of the game for most of it. He had no room to move and no one was giving him any balls to, to All feed. right. All right. So, yeah, okay. So with that, right, here's the thing with, with Sam Smith and that. How long can we keep saying that? Because at some point, right, right, we used to criticize Lucas Zhao when he wasn't getting on the ball enough. And Sam Smith, the way in which he doesn't get on the ball, you know, the way in which he doesn't do well is very different to the way in which Lucas Zhao didn't do well. But I don't Mm. know. I think it's been a couple of months now since Smith's done something particularly notable. Um, And I do agree... No, because actually, you know, they were they were trying for ages and ages to do like um, balls over the top from Button to Smith, and that worked for a bit, and then that got shut down. Um, but they haven't found anything else to to get him going. And I don't know, I don't really know. It's odd. With I mean, I, I will say I thought it was hold up play yesterday it was pretty sloppy. There were so many times when the ball was sort of bouncing around, and he could have just put his foot on it and controlled it a bit more, but he didn't. Yeah, you know, he's like he was trying to just shovel it off as quickly as possible. So I would, I would, you know, in that respect, I think his hold up play yesterday wasn't the best it could be. But you know, I mean, it it is a good question. Like how how do we solve that issue? For me, you just play top top, <laughs> but he's not going to do that. So like you know, the, the the days of us playing two up top are, are long gone and distant memories. Um, you know what what could what could he do to solve this problem? 
Again, for me, it's uh, I like the idea of getting Nibs closer to Smith, and I think that's the best way to to have somebody around Smith. You know, like making runs, uh, moving around him, so that Smith can make you know quick little interchanges and, and things like that. And Smith and and Nibs do play well together. So if you play that sort of four two three one, you've got Nibs right behind Smith. Smith likes to drift back anyway, so Smith and Nibs can sort of you know switch positions. That will give Smith more chance to get involved with the game and, and thus you know his touch should improve as the game goes on and and things like that that was part of the issue with femi yesterday by the way he could he hardly got on the ball so when he did get on the ball his touch was like an anvil um wasn't working well at all so for me it's about getting nibs close to smith it's not about it's it's about getting the 10 close to smith it's not about putting another striker up there i i do get where like the put two strikers on arguments come from but for me all you end up with if you put another striker on is another person to run around and not get the ball. Um, you need someone to get the ball to him in the first place. Would you Would you play someone else in a 10 position other than Nibs? And it's, this is not me leading you to anything. This is just me generally asking you a question. It is good. No, it's a good question. Ben Elliott um, is the yeah. other one. If I was going to, if I, if Nibs had to come out for injury right now, I would put Elliott into that spot probably. I think difficult yeah, to I, say. Look, we we haven't really seen anything from Ben Elliott, and that's not necessarily his fault. I think he's been uh, underused. I think when he has been used, he's been used in the wrong positions. Um, obviously, at Afcon as well, which he which he went off to. But you know, hopefully, in this run in now, we're going to see a few more. Well, potentially, as you say, if if Nibs has a has a problem starting positions, but also a few more cameos off the bench would be good. You know, to try mm-hmm. and fit the game. Um, Talking yeah. of cameos off the bench, Josh Buck says, is it time to start Ehabitamin or is he the next Lafondra? Ooh, hmm. good question. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's a nice one. Still not for me. I, I'd like to see I'd like to see another few um instances of him staying staying out on the left side. I mean, I'm fine if if he does get a few starts, because like I said, I, I don't uh I don't think I think it's been a little while uh, since Smith has put in a really good performance. So I wouldn't mind if Kelvin gets a, a start up front, but I don't mind him playing out on the left, you know, maybe start him out there instead of Makairu one day and just see what that looks like for, for 60 minutes. Well, I, I think the key thing now is we've got options, despite the fact that we've had players leaving in the transfer window, which, you know, ultimately I think was, I mean, it's not positive. Of course it's not, but like, given what it could have been when Abby went in what, like the first mm-hmm. or second week of the window, and you think everyone's everyone's in the shot window now. They they, they did well to to limit it to, to those yeah. key positions, I think, because hundred percent. You know, we've we've got players in that team that for me are irreplaceable, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and, and players, you know, as difficult as it is to to see Abby and you know McIntyre to extend, obviously Holmes has come back although injured. It's we've got players that can fill in those roles and there's other players to pick up the slack. I know it's not ideal, but actually, you know, having that, that kind of those options with, with Calvin yesterday is, is an interesting twist that we, you know, we probably didn't see sort of 48 hours ago. So it's, it's, um it's a nice problem to have moving forward. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that really there's, there's any, merit to starting him as yet because the players in those positions are you know infinitely stronger than than he is currently that might change but you know this is where we are I will go back to Ben Elliott now that Vickers is gone I wouldn't be surprised if Elliott gets a little bit more time because I feel like time for a young player who can play wide or can play central who is an attacker you know that time was half going to Vickers and half going to Elliot currently so I think that now Vickers has gone Elliot might get a little bit more time not that Vickers was getting ages um just think that Elliot might get a little bit more I I do I would like to see him play central I think that we have seen him slide a few good balls into the box he likes one particular ball that goes to the outside of the box to to usually Femi he does that all the time when he plays Elliot so um Mm. yeah I'd like to see him play in that 10 role uh changing pace slightly Andy Taylor says given how skint we are could we see a kit being used for more than one season for the <laughs> first time in years? Um, I can categorically state, yeah. Andy, that the answer to that question is no. Yeah, not um, a chance. The, the kit for next season is done and dusted. Uh, oh, really? hasn't been, Yeah, it hasn't been paid for. 
Um, but I don't think that's unusual. No, like, I don't think it's like, season. oh my God, we're late on this payment. I don't think that it's panic stations with that at all. But yeah. I know that the, the kit kits um, have been have been sorted for next season. Yeah. So, yeah, we won't. I think that the club I can basically. I think that the club and Macron would both be thinking, God, this is one of the few ways we could still make money off Reading is the, you know, the kits uh, at the start of every season. You know, they're they're obviously popular and and you see them around. I've 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 changed. I'm wearing the grey kit today. I've kind of changed my opinion on that as the as the season's gone on. I like the grey. A grey kit's cracking. I start. I was wrong. I started not so much on that, and then I saw Harvey Nibs playing football in it <laughs> a lot, and now I'm like, it's ooh. Really- Mm, it's always one of those where you look at it in and go, that looks great on professional athletes. And yeah, then <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't look quite as good as uh, Harvey in it, but, uh, yeah. you know, not not too bad. I'll tell you who did wear the grey shirt incredibly well. Nelson Abbey. Oh, yeah, yeah, sweet, yeah, that's good. That's Nelson. fair. And my favourite photo of the year so far is of uh, Femi celebrating against uh, Peterborough in the grey kit as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which which player wears the purple kit the best? Oh, not Nick Blackman. He hated the uh, the African violet, so he, he wouldn't like yeah, that. He wasn't keen on it, was he? No, he wasn't. I think Wings a good shout for that. Jacken. Yeah, yeah. Wings. I think are good. Sam Smith. But mind I you, t- Sam Smith is like the most handsome man in Berkshire, so he could wear anything and he'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. I did enjoy that content of him getting a fade or whatever it was the other day. Uh, right. Getting a haircut. That was great. <clears throat> and it made, honestly, it made me feel good because my, you know, my hairline is, is it's still there. It goes and fits and starts. But like, mm-hmm. I, I just, I felt really good when I saw him doing that. Yeah. Um, well, hey. Like, Don't be ashamed of it. Embrace what you got. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I asked the question or the question on the tweet earlier was, uh, given that a lot of us have just spent 90 minutes at the Kassam Stadium, dreadful place, as Apologies. we said earlier, um, we we said, what's the worst ground you've ever been to? Hmm. Um, a few statements. John House said the old Northampton ground was worse. Uh, one whole side was part of the county cricket ground. That's interesting. <laughs> that's great. That's quite a. That's pretty. Yeah. Wow. Fair wow. Break. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mark Sugar. The with Dean was an awful experience. Seemed to recall two two of our four visits. It rained heavily. The with Dean had like a massive running track around the outside of it. Which what um, uh, what team was that? Which was not ideal. Uh, Will has literally just put Millmore, which uh, Rotherham's old ground. Okay. Um, oh, I, I remember. I'm sorry. I just I had to remind myself with Dean, and I and I now remember it from that very very different era of Brighton Hove Albion. Uh, yeah, that was a club. Steve Copper Brighton team. That was. Yeah, it's a, I remember. I just remember some odd like uh, it's very um, you know Manish on the EFL highlights back in the day um, after yeah. after a match of the day, like seeing with Dean in, in Brighton. That that's a, it was a very like Manish late evening sort of thing that I remember. I, I don't know. I'm talking nonsense. What's your one? Think... <sighs> Ninian Park was horrible. Okay, okay. I went I mean, to Luton really last year. Luton, Luton was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, like Luton was funny though, and I was with my, you know, my American wife, and she thought it was hilarious <laughs> that we were going through, you know, people's houses to get into the stadium. So, but Luton was pretty bad. Um, Portsmouth, like Fratton Park. Yeah. I mean that that's a really tight unpleasant experience yeah um that's not good my dad's Uh, a southampton fan and he's been going to southampton games since you know the the 70s and he has some quite interesting stories about going down fratton park as an away southampton fan uh which we won't get into now for legal reasons but many interesting stories burnley terrible burnley okay absolutely yeah i've heard that Sorry, Burnley. Um, worst ground. I mean, Macclesfield's old ground, Moss Rose, used to be horrendous. Okay, okay. Um, I... It was almost like it was like, uh, from memory, it was like it was like temporary. One stand was basically just like temporary. It wasn't actually yeah. 
like there, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay, speaking of temporary, then I'll go with like not even a whole stadium, just one stand. The temporary in inverted commas uh, extra stand that got put on Bournemouth Stadium, Dean Court, is awful. Like it's so bad. They put a temporary stand down, and they said that it would be there. Oh, two or three years or whatever. It's been ten years, and it's still there, and nothing's changed. And it is this cold shed that sucks up sound so that it doesn't like, you know, properly create an atmosphere. And they had, and in the year of our Lord 2011 or whatever it was, they built obstruction pillars into the stand. What are you doing? This isn't White Hart Lane. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like yeah. someone's like accidentally spent the money on, you know, premium pies as opposed to a stand there. Right. Okay. Wait, premium pies? Yeah. Like, you know, like really nice, good pies as yeah. opposed to just crappy ones. To which one do you like? Do you like the nice pie or the crappy pie? <laughs> Either way. Well, I, it, I, it depends. I mean, it, you get what you're given at these places, right? That's fair. That's fair. That's actually yeah. one of the things I miss about uh, English football the most is the is the pies. But I digress. I do you know, I'll tell you what I did yesterday. I brought Sim, because I'm really generous like that. Mm. I brought him a bottle of Coke and they, nice. they, let, they let us keep the lid on. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, know. I thought, God, you're brave. It's like the, the derby of death, this one, and you're letting people take bottles. I'm in. just imagining you ending up in a police lockup and that one <laughs> uh, bottle cap ending up in an evidence locker by the end of the night. Well, we, do you know what? The tickets we had were literally right next to the away fans. And there mm. was obviously like a big, you probably saw it on the, on the um, Royals TV or whatever you're watching them, but like... There was like a big tarpaulin that covered, you know, rightly so, the, in between the, the sets of fans. But yeah. you can still hear stuff. Do you know what I mean? You can still hear oh, yeah. quite a lot of what's going on between the divide. So, um, yeah, not not great. Worst ground, though. I don't know. I asked the question, but I didn't really think about it. Yeah. Ninian Park wasn't good at all. Um, I don't like Burnley. Horrendous okay. place, that, as as a just as a venue. Um Worst ground. I mean, Oxford's got to be up there. It really has. Yeah. If you, if you go on public transport, Oxford has to be probably the most difficult ground to get to in the country. I'd say. I from I, from like a mainland mainline train station. Yeah, it didn't look particularly um, fun. Some of the pictures from the car park looked very. It's just odd that a place like you said at the start, as nice as Oxford, has a stadium that crummy. Yeah, I think they're in the process of trying to move to different part of Oxford. But even so, like, I would imagine there's so much money in, in Oxford. Anyway, shut up about Oxford. No one cares about them. They, they, they couldn't beat us at our lowest ebb. Right. So, um, yeah, let's not talk about them anymore. Not worth talking let's, about. Let's talk about Stevenage. What a, what a glamorous league we're in at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's do, so, from Oxford to Stevenage and then to Charlton. <laughs> let's do that. Let's do the preview uh, right now. There's another huge game ahead for the Royals. So be loud and be proud for the big match preview. Right. Um, I'm, still, I'm still, yeah. Ross has just Let's told me talk no about Stevenage. Yeah, right. I mean, it's difficult for me to take, and, and this is going to sound awful given our situation, right? So just bear with me. But it's, it's very, very difficult for me to take Stevenage seriously when I've seen a photo of their manager, Steve Evans, holding a West Highland Terrier under his arm. We talked about this last time we played yeah. Stevenage back in August and we'll and have it, to it, tweet it out again because it, it is It literally lives in my head rent-free. Um, yeah. It's Honestly, it's ridiculous. Uh, anyway, what isn't ridiculous is their current form and league position. They currently sit sixth I think just sort of in and around the playoff zone um they're kind of well up on the form table we go there Tuesday night it's Tuesday night in Stevenage in February glamour um Ross what what is the best case scenario for us in this game coming up and while you're doing that I'm going to google this photo quickly Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stevenage are an interesting one. We beat them 2-0 earlier in the season. This is a game uh, in which we were still using the 4 triple two. Um, Stevenage had a player sent off in the first 20 minutes. Um, so that was when they were, I think they were top of the league at that point. Um, and, and they're still having a pretty good season, like you mentioned. Um, you know, they've, they've bumped Oxford out of the out of the playoff spots now, so so good for them. Uh, and they're only, what, eight, seven points 
points off uh, off the top two with, with games in hand. So they, they have a chance to have a really, really good season. Um, Steve Evans is one of those odd managers that, you know, gets you playing. Um, I guess he'd be like the League One and League Two version of Neil Warnock almost. Um you know gets your squad playing well um there's probably a limit and on on where he can take it but they're going to be tough to beat really really tough to beat especially um at home and i think that this might be another game where even if reading pick up a point you know you have to just agonizingly say all right that's a good result again um yeah, it's it's going to be a, a, a tricky game for, for sure against them. Pick up an extra um, three points though that we might not be expecting, and we've really got the pressure on Charlton for the for the game at the weekend though. So, yeah, going to be a going to be an interesting game versus Stevenage. Well, look, I mean, based on league positions, I found that fact by the way. I, nice. I was going to show it to you just to remind you of of what I have to deal with. Yeah regular basis every time someone talks about Stevenage. Um, look, you know, Oxford was seventh going into the game yesterday. Um, Stevenage are now sixth after the, after yesterday's play. So, you know, we, we're kind of, we're almost contradicting ourselves or, or rather I'm in danger of contradicting myself because I'm, I'm saying, right, we've got to go to Oxford and we've got to set up to win the game rather than, you know, don't have the mentality of not lose. Yet we're going to Stevenage in a couple of days' time and in my head, I'm thinking, don't lose that game. And that's a really good point. So what, you know, th- this is where we still don't really know how good we are. You know, obviously, we've we, we lost one game in, in 10, I believe, um, sort of midway through the form table over the last six games. Stevenage are fourth in that table, having mm-hmm. won uh, four of the last six and lost two. That's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive... Um, you know that's that's a pretty impressive turnaround for them, and they they're going to be disappointed if they don't make the playoffs, having spent most of the season in and around that. Um, yeah, you know, is is there a reality in which we can actually go and win this game, or is it literally just get a point, get out of there, see you back I in think, the on Saturday? I think it might be interesting to see if we see Mon Louis uh, on Tuesday because two games in a week, obviously, you'd think that we'd be probably trying to get him going. Um, Sellers might think that Charlton is the better game for that, but I don't know if I'm so so sure of that. Um, yeah, I, I think that Reading are just not going to score more than two goals, um, basically ever. So I mean, if they can keep it to Stephen is just scoring the one, then yeah, they got a they got a good chance to go and get three points. But a lot of a lot of how Reading get points this season for me seems like it's going to be determined on the defensive solidity and whether they can keep that up as much as it is towards how much they can they can go and attack. So maybe we could win this, you know, 1-0 or 2-1 or, or whatever. Like I say, we've already beaten them once this year. Um, but it's going to start with the defensive solidity and I'm not sure having Mbenge in there at centre-back is going to be the way to keep that going consistently. Yeah, well, I mean, they 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 beat Blackpool yesterday because um, we're recording this on Sunday. <clears throat> uh, you, you know, beat them one nil, eighty fifth minute winner from Forster Kasky, who is obviously technically a Reading legend without ever having played for us um, with a name like that. But it's yeah, it's it's going to be a difficult game. And then of course, you know, we move on to Charlton come what may on on Tuesday, uh, who have just appointed Nathan Jones as their new manager, which. Ultimately, is is kind of the worst possible time for us, really. Um, uh, Charlton have, have really been drawn into it over the last couple of weeks. You know, they're bottom of the form table over those last six games, having lost um, four of those games. Um, yeah, and they. So I don't think they have to play anyone, do they? Oh no, they do. Uh, do they have a game? I don't think they have a game uh, on Tuesday like we do as well. So they've got a full do, week no. on the training zone, with, a training ground with with the new manager. I mean, what you know? What are we hoping for out of that game? It's got to be three points, hasn't it? Yeah, I was going to say. I, I think it's three points, regardless of Nathan Jones. I don't, I don't 
don't know if Nathan Jones is that amazing of a manager. I think it looks like a good get for a League One club, obviously. Um, but there's uh, football's weird, man. Like Chris Wilder was being touted for us back in the summer. Looked like that got relatively close, and now he's the Sheffield United manager, and he's complaining about sandwiches. So, I mean, football is a very weird place. I think you have to aim at three points for that, uh, regardless of what Nathan Jones might be able to come in and, and get his team to do. He's a manager who's got a very specific play style with three at the back and um, doing things with, with width and, and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's going to take longer than a week to to, to train his, his squad in that. Whether they get a new manager bounce right away, um, that's a different story, obviously. And I would I would yeah. hate to suffer that. That would be annoying. I mean, I, you know, we we have to go all out. Regardless of what happens on Tuesday, we have to. Yeah, I agree. It's got to be three points. Um, yeah. You know, if if we end the week, if we're sat here in a week's time, we go look, we've got four points out of those two games. That's 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 good. If that, we can know, take. If we can take six points out of these next two games, we'll completely change the complexion of the last few months of this season yeah. for us. And and that could be huge for the just maintaining the positive mentality of the team going forward. It's like I said the other week as well, like there's so many teams getting dragged into I mean, Carlisle look like they're yep. pretty much adrift now. Uh, they're on 20 points. Fleetwood's 22. And Fleetwood uh, visit. I think we play Fleetwood in a few weeks' time as well. Well, which yeah, we that's do a huge Carlisle. game. Carlisle and Fleetwood, you mm. know, and, and really that's daylight if we beat both of them. Yeah. Um, Burn Albion are not in good form. Exeter, so so. Shrewsbury, not great. Uh, obviously, our friends Port Vale are getting really dragged into it. And obviously, Charlton, I think Charlton will have enough to stay up realistically, given. Yeah, given I'd the, expect you know, so. Those other teams. So you, you're probably looking at, at Carlisle, Fleetwood, Cheltenham, and then another, which yeah. hopefully won't be us. Now, whether or not that's, I don't know, it's point of speculating. But I it, think it's going to be a number of. There could be about five teams that that un, I agree. Could be, basically, I, if um, I look at it right now, I think it's going to be one of us, Port Vale, uh, Burton, or maybe Shrewsbury. I think those are the yeah. teams that have consistently been a bit meh in that area. Um, and I get if I had to throw. If I had to throw it at someone right now, I'd say it's probably Port Vale. Sorry, guys. Yeah, uh, you can't say that. Yeah. No, I know. That feels awful, doesn't it? It's Burton. It's Burton. It's definitely Burton. But you, you, let's just look at these games before we, we sign off here. So we've got um, Stevenage, obviously, next game away. We've got Charlton at home. Um, yep. Fleetwood away. Portsmouth away, which is it's going to be tough. <laughs> so that's, that's a kind of throwaway game. We've then got Port Vale back at home. Obviously, you know, the rescheduled or rearranged or replayed fixture, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Shrewsbury at home. Yeah. Carlisle Huge. away. Wickham I mean, at home. Yeah. Derby away. And then you've got Cambridge, Bristol Rovers, Northampton. So, you know, feasibly, by the much. time we go to Bolton on the 1st of April. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we we you'd hope that by the end of the March, by by the time we play Northampton on the 29th of March, we will be, you know, very much looking up as opposed to looking down. And looking at those games, I, I don't think apart from Portsmouth away, obviously Derby away as well. I don't think there's anything to be massively panicking about given our current form. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Reading can compete with anyone really in this league. On a, on a good day, Reading can... I don't think Reading can beat anyone, but I think that Reading can compete with basically everyone. I And, and remember, this Charlton game, it's the same as the Exeter game on New Year's Day. So if we win that game, we come out of the relegation zone at the expense of Charlton. Um, yeah. So it's huge, obviously. I, I think that cut out march i think by the end of february at the end of march 2nd which is the carlisle game we should be out of the relegation zone by three points if we're going to get out of the relegation zone and stay out that would be my goal for february for by the end yeah. of the carlisle game would be to be out of the relegation zone by three points and that's a five point swing uh in what we're we looking at here seven games so a five point swing with 21 points available Reading are scoring are getting something like a point and a half a game right now, so it's doable. It's very doable, um, and there are teams down there who are we are facing in the next few weeks. So, mm. yeah, 
Huge month. Oh God, what are we? Start of February and it's already getting pretty stressful. Already yeah, getting yeah, pretty yeah. stressful. But squeaky bum time on the way. It's already yeah. What, what's what's the pre squeaky bum time? Uh, Trap uh, win. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. <laughs> probably probably you know stomach pains. Whatever, grand pains. Right. I don't know. Whatever yeah, yeah. Um, Ominous look, rumblings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I might need the toilet in a minute. Um, I, that's, All right, let's I don't get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's just me saying that. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not a fact. Um, anyway. Listen, I, I said at the start of the, the, of the pod um, in my little intro. Uh, can we get out of this, Ross? Can we get out of this? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. All in, all in on this team now. All oh, in on time. this management team. It's got to be, you know, regardless of what we think, we're just there for the ride. We've got to get out of this. We've got to do this. We've got to stay in this, in this uh, league one of, well, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, let's cross everything. Let's keep backing the boys. Let's keep making some noise. And, uh, yeah, we will we will see you this time next week. Ross, have a, have a fantastic week, whatever you're doing. Thank um, you. Have a good week, everyone. Enjoy your dinner, which I guess is in four hours' time. A little bit of time, yeah. Uh, uh, no wife this weekend, so I, uh, my wife doesn't like seafood. I'm eating all the seafood. All, all the prawns. All the, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sea bass. What do you have in Maine? Lobster catfish. is the big thing. No, 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 lobster. Catfish is a Louisiana thing, other side of the oh, country. But yeah, lobsters are the, uh, are the big thing in, in Maine. That's actually what the rest of the country knows us for, is lobsters. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was mutant crocodiles. Mutant crocodiles. Yeah, (laughs) we've talked about Lake Placid before (laughs) at the start of the at the start of the season. But yeah, mutant crocodiles and very tasty lobsters. Fair play. And Steve Evans with the Highland Dog. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get that out after this for sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna post that. Yeah, Yeah, get that posted. Good, good. Um, have a really good week, everybody. Thanks for joining us uh, on this the day of not losing to Oxford once again. They haven't beaten us this millennium. Ha ha! How funny is that? Um, enjoy yourselves. If you're going to Stevenage on Tuesday, uh, let's bring back at least a point, and then we'll see you back home at the Stad di Majetski on Saturday for the visit of Chawa. Have a good week. Take care. Come on, you arse.